Looking to lead smarter? Let me send you a free copy of my ebook, The Portable Guide to Leading Organizations. Text Lead Smarter to 33444. That's Lead Smarter, all one word, to 33444. Hi, this is Todd Henry, and you're listening to Leader Lab with the insanely brilliant David Burkus. <laughs> How's oh, that? you, you know okay? I'm going to run you know I'm going to run that. So who are you and what do you do? My name is Todd Henry and I am an arms dealer for the Creative Revolution. And I know that's sufficiently vague, so I'll explain and say that I work with uh, people in teams and help them generate ideas and help them understand some of the barriers that get in the way of great creative work and how to overcome them through strategic everyday practices. You know, every time you say arms dealer for the Creative Revolution, I, I always I always wonder if you have a file somewhere with the FBI or the NSA or something because you say that so often. <laughs> and know, maybe probably, like I am quite arms dealer. <laughs> I'm quite certain that arms dealer is probably one of those secret phrases that they monitor Skype for, right? So I oh, yeah, probably oh, do. That's what I mean. <laughs> as lo- as long as we don't start speaking suddenly speaking in a foreign language by accident or something, I think we'll be okay, right? Okay, but, cool. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. No, I've, I've wondered that. Okay. Well, and, and then ironically, you're an arms dealer whose previous book was called Die Empty, right? So, you know, there's a lot of grotesque stuff in there. And uh, we're, we're, talking, <laughs> we're not talking about Die Empty today. There's an awesome episode about Die Empty. We can talk about that uh, and link to it in show notes, etc. But we're talking about when you're dying empty, you want to make sure that you scream really, really loud, right? Because the new book is called Louder Than Words. And I, I want to talk about this transition because so die empty, like if you're if you're keeping a scorecard of Todd Todd Henry's literary developments, you yeah, have. This, I know we it, all are, right? I mean, I know we, everybody. As, yes, everybody at home is doing that. I'm sure. Totally. And if they're not, like you, we have a free PDF that you can print up that you can score <laughs> just like baseball. Todd Henry errors, right? Unforced errors. No. Okay. So we have the accidental creative, right? right? Which is this idea of kind of being prolific, brilliant, and healthy. And then we have the idea of dying, right? Which is, you know, we assume at first not healthy, but then we get that it's about staying sort of prolific, healthy, and brilliant forever, right? So that you don't die with your best work still in you. Correct. And then I think, if, if, if I may, I feel like we stepped backwards. Like maybe we put the cart before, before the horse because I'm reading louder than words and I'm going, man, this is Die Empty's prequel, right? Because this is about finding your voice. And then once you find your voice, how do you get all of your work sort of out there? I don't know if that's the realization that led, made you want to write louder than words. But, you know, that's the story I tell myself. I guess I should ask the real story. <laughs> yeah, well, it's interesting because I, I sort of informally refer to these three books as the Creative Professional Trilogy, um, which I know sounds very enticing. Um, it's not, not quite as expansive as loud, uh, as uh, you know Lord of the Rings or Star Wars or something like that. But um, but they, they really do build on one another. I'm glad that you identified that as that there is kind of a through line. I mean, the accidental creative really is very rudimentary. It's about organization. It's about getting your life in shape so that you can deal with the pressure that you face as a creative pro every day. So it's really it's really about just the everyday nitty gritty practices you need to have to deal with that pressure. Die Empty really kind of takes it beyond that and says, okay, now that you're organized, are you actually doing the work that matters? You know, or are you just doing the busy work? Are you actually building your life, structuring your body of work around something substantive and, and moving in a direction where you're going to get your best work out of you while you can. Um, and also identify some places people get stuck along that path, even really bright, sharp, amazing people. And then louder than words, I, I think takes the conversation to the next level by saying, okay, great that you're organizing your life around work that matters 
matters to you, but is that work really going to matter to anyone else? Um, because it doesn't just matter. It doesn't matter only what you think, what you care about, but it matters how your audience receives you. Your voice isn't just what you say. It's how you're heard. So Louder Than Words really wants to carry that conversation then to, I think, the, the final level, which is, will that work actually resonate and be substantive in a way that people will be talking about it in five years or 10 years or 20 years? Because I think ultimately that's what we all want. You know, we want to build a body of work that's going to last and it's going to create impact. No, totally. And I think there's a huge sort of, you know, I, I read the book and I, I don't know if I have leadership colored glasses on or whatever it is, but in addition to sort of the creativity piece, what, what I saw in a lot of it was almost a leadership piece too, because there's a great Warren Bennis line about like the people who uh, become leaders, whether it's leaders of a small team or leaders of a whole giant creative organization, whatever it is, they don't set out to do that. Like nobody seeks power for power. Well, okay, right. some people seek wow. power for power's sake. Most people don't. Most people just set out, find their sort of find their voice and set out to do the thing that they love doing. And then somehow like that compels people to sort of follow them, right? So it sort of starts with that voice idea. It, it does. And, and, you know, to your point, I think that um, people who are able to mobilize others to follow them are people who have resonant voices. You know, they're people who have figured out how to connect deeply with the ambitions and the desires of the people that they're trying to reach. You know, if it, you can do the best work in the world that is completely centered around your hopes and, and your ambitions, and nobody's going to care. Because quite frankly, I don't know about you, but I know for me, most of the people I meet are pretty concerned about their own life. And they're not really all that worried about yours. You know, they're not all that worried about what it is you want to communicate unless it intersects with what they care about. And so if you want your work to carry and you want you want others to become um, resonators, right, and begin to resound with your message and share it with their respective audiences, you have to figure out how to connect deeply with them. Yeah, I totally agree. So you, you, at, the, at the core of this book, there's a lot of different sort of applications and, and importance of voice and that sort of thing. At the core of the book, sort of the central idea, to me at least, I don't know if this was your intention or not, is the idea of what you call the voice engine, right? So the three elements that kind of make up a strong, distinctive, resonatable, is that like? <laughs> it is like, now. <laughs> right, there you go. Resonatable voice. Um, identity, vision, and mastery. Um, I, I guess, you know, this is interesting because you, you put you put basically three questions on there. Who are you, where are you going, and how will you get there? Um, I feel like the who are you one's probably the hardest one to figure out, though. But let's let's take one in each turn. Let's talk about identity and how do how do people figure out who they are beyond their you know their, the name that's on their driver's license and that type of thing. Well, and, and this is really I think where everything begins because many people spend their life doing somebody else's body of work, right, or or following um, opportunity and circumstance, but they never really step back to ask, is this really the work that I should be doing? Is this really a place where I can make a unique mark, um, where I can make a contribution? And and by the way, I'm not advocating you know, sitting around and navel gazing until you come up with that answer. I'm, I'm saying that you should be as you're moving forward, paying attention to the clues in your environment, paying attention to how you respond to those clues, paying attention to the places where you're especially effective um, and consistently effective, and then figuring out how can I navigate my work so that I'm operating more in that place where I am I am resonant more, more, uh, more um, consistently, and you. Know, a lot of us don't pay attention to those clues, David. I mean, we're we're just kind of moving through life, checking off tasks, doing projects, taking the next promotion. Um, you know, moving from job to job, project to project, and we're not really 
stopping to consider where are the places where I seem to be especially effective. So really that's what identity is all about. It's about operating from a, a place of deep self-knowledge, understanding the things that are important to you and the battles that you deem worth fighting, because I believe we will ultimately be remembered for the battles we choose to spend our time fighting, right? So um, what is important to you? What are the tenets or the principles that you will go to the mat for every single time? And once you understand this, then you can begin making bold and uh, consistent and unique decisions with your work. One of the things that I think really s causes a lot of people's uh, work to stall and, and eventually I think causes them to not resonate in any capacity with their audience is that they're fuzzy, they're unclear, they're, um, they, they refuse to make bold decisions with their work and commit to a path because they don't want to eliminate options. They want to they make sure they don't miss out on opportunity. But that is not the path of the brilliant contributor. We have to learn to decide. That word decide comes from, in the original language, uh, the, the words that mean to cut off. Right? So when we decide, we are cutting off other options and we're choosing an option. We're choosing a path. And every brilliant contributor at some point has to choose a path and go all in on that path. But before you do that, I believe you have to begin to pay attention to the clues so that you can make a more intelligent decision. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, I, um, when I was reading the identity chapter, part of my mind went back to, uh, well, all of my mind actually went back to, because I don't think you can split it up like that, um, but went back to a lot of the research and the um, practical advice on corporate level strategy, right? Which the, the people who are really in the know will tell you that strategy is not about deciding sort of where to go. It's about choosing where we're going to play and how we're going to win and that sort of thing, which basically means choosing what we're going to focus on and what we're not going to focus on. A strategy of all things to all people sort of always fails. It fails at a corporate level, so why wouldn't it fail um, at, the same, at the same thing on an individual level? And, you know, I... Um, I really enjoyed that. I mean, I could have I could have used that chapter maybe five years ago in my own career, right? Because I think I think the like one of the hardest battles when you're trying to sort of develop this kind of voice and, and career, whether it be a creative one or just a life career, is every time an opportunity comes up, it's you want it, you have this like moment where you're really debating, should I take it? Should I not take it? What do I do? And but if you have a clear cut, like these are the things we do, these are the things we don't do. I mean, honestly, I say it so often on the podcast and on my site and all the stuff, the, the three words, leadership, innovation and strategy. And that's for my own sanity. It basically means we do these things. We don't talk about marketing, not that marketing is evil. We don't talk about accounting, not that accounting is not important, right? But we talk about leadership, innovation and strategy, and that's it. And then through that, then you actually have a resonatable, right? Uh, voice and career and work because you've chosen what you don't do. It's it's a weird paradox, but it it works. It really is, and and you're making those decisions. Uh, it not only. Uh, allows you to focus and funnel your resources more effectively, you know, because we all have finite resources to spend on behalf of our work, um, organizationally or individually. So it not only helps you funnel those resources more effectively, but it helps you navigate toward the audience that will really resonate with what you do. And it's sort of one of the strange ironies of life that if you try to reach everybody, you will end up reaching absolutely nobody with your message. But if you really target very specifically who you're trying to reach and you really uh, pour yourself out to them and invest yourself which is really, that's how I use authenticity in the book. It's not transparency. It's about investing yourself in something that matters and showing people that you really have skin in the game. If you do that and you do it in a way that is precise and consonant, then you will attract an audience that cares about what it is you're, you're trying to do. Yeah. And, and I should add the other thing that you'll do once you know who you are 
is you'll you'll be able to more accurately get a feel for that next piece of of the voice engine, which is vision. Where where are you headed, right? If you don't really know the the directions that you do take and the ones that you don't take, right, and the and how to narrow down options and cut off things. You really will never get at the vision piece. That's exactly right because great vision is always sourced in a sense of identity. It always is because if you don't, if you're not operating from a deep well of understanding of who you are and what you care about, then your vision is going to waffle over time. It's not going to be precise. It's not going to be consonant, and you're going to be constantly second guessing. And so you, that self knowledge is very important and, and very informative to. Your vision, your vision is really about where am I going with my work and who am I trying to lead and where am I trying to take them? Um, and, and often when we think about work, let's you know, consider like creative work or artistic work or whatever, we tend to think that people are just operating for themselves. I'm going to make something for myself and hopefully people will like it. Um, and that is, again, a recipe for disaster, I think, in the long run. Uh, it might work out for the unicorns, a few, you know, outliers here and there. But for the most part, people whose work resonates are people who are also considering, who am I trying to impact through this work? Where am I trying to lead them? How am I trying to influence them? Uh, because you know, great work at the end of the day is about impact. It's about what kind of value you're trying to create. Your voice is an expression through a medium to achieve an impact. And I think you have to have all three of those elements present. And that's really what vision is about. So you have to define your intended audience. Who are you trying to reach? You know, who is it you're trying to influence? And by the way, I don't believe it's effective to target a demographic or a psychographic and just to think about a group of people and say, well, how do we throw some spaghetti at that wall and see what'll, what'll stick? I find that it's very helpful and effective when you're creating on a personal level or when you're trying to figure out how am I going to communicate my idea to someone to think about a very specific person. Think about um, not a group, but an individual. When I wrote all three of my books, David, I had a specific individual in mind. I know it was not you. I had a very specific person in mind. I'm, I'm still waiting for my book, by the way. <laughs> I'm still waiting for it. It's the next one. Um, oh, good, it's, good. Yeah, it's it's um it's called uh, usage of vowels in everyday life. That's the that's the name mm. of the uh, yeah. Um, awesome. <laughs> but uh, yeah, leader lab, get it? Yes, sir. Never yeah, mind. no, we, we totally get it. That's one of the reasons. Yeah, we totally get it. Oh, um, we all get it. Trust me. Everybody that's ever tried to tell the name of the show to their friends gets it. <laughs> Have you ever heard this podcast called Leatherlurb? It's awesome. It's really great. Um, <laughs> anyway, but yeah, so so I had a specific person in mind, and and I wrote the book as if I was sitting across the table from that person and writing to that person. And why was that effective? Because I was able to cultivate empathy because I knew that person. I knew exactly what they were struggling with. I knew what their aspirations were. I knew what the roadblocks were in their life, and I was able to write very specific advice to that person, knowing that if I'm precise in how I communicate and if I'm consonant in how I communicate because my target is so defined that other people are also going to connect with and resonate with that work. And so I would encourage whether you're a leader leading a team, if you're an individual and you're creating work and you're trying to communicate, if you're trying to sell an idea into your manager's manager, think about that person very specifically and try to consider how can I cultivate empathy so that I can communicate my idea in a way that's going to resonate because it's not just what you care about, it's what they care about as well It's the intersection of those two things that matters. Yeah, and that um, well, we we were going to talk a little bit about the whole team piece of that, but then we just kind of did, right? <laughs> um, but but while we're talking about that, because I think I think in addition to how every individual has a voice, teams have a voice. But before we do that, let's talk about the last piece of the engine, and maybe through a team lens. But it's this idea of mastery, right? Which to me is like 
only after you've cut off a couple different possibilities and you've really laser focused in on here's where we're headed, can you actually figure out what the skills that are worth spending the 10,000 hours or however many or, or 20 hours if you're Josh Kaufman, uh, but spending the time to get good at something. You, you can't get good at everything, right? So it's only after you've cut those things off and really sense the vision for where you're going can you even know what things you need to master. That's absolutely true. And I would say in addition to that, I would say that mastery is really about building credibility because if you have identity and vision and all those things are firing on all cylinders, but you ha you lack the credibility, you lack the platform to bring those ideas into the world in a way that other people can interact with it, um, then nobody's going to listen to you. And so mastery is really about developing that platform, establishing credibility, as well as, again, again mentioning, uh, I mentioned um, the idea of empathy, how important empathy is, but also developing a sense of timing because you can have great ideas and you can present your great work to the world, but if the timing isn't right, the work is going to falter. And we've seen this time and time and time again throughout history that great ideas are presented either in a way that isn't credible in the moment or isn't timed properly. And so what we have to do is we have to pay attention to themes that are happening in culture around us, themes that are already emerging in the marketplace, that have momentum in the marketplace, and consider how we might be able to associate our idea with those themes. And this isn't about trend chasing. Again, this is about being smart in how you communicate, how you, how you present your idea so that it connects with the people in your audience. I shared the story in the book of um, the, the Always brand, P&G's Always brand, and I had the chance to, um, to speak to a group um, where uh, Edgar Sandoval was present from P&G, and we were kind of talking about the, the uh, Like a Girl campaign that they launched last year that's been viewed, this, this short film they made has been viewed 80 million times worldwide, which is, I would say, by any measure, that is a successful campaign, right? Well, yeah. How many times has your TED Talk been, been viewed? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's just say like millions of times less than that. Uh, tens of <laughs> millions of times less than that. Yeah. Just um, under a million. Just <laughs> under a million. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, you, you, you look at, at this campaign, it was remarkably successful, but what they were able to do is take this theme that had been important to the organization for decades, which was building self-confidence in girls. So talk about the the identity piece, right? That's really what they what they cared about was building self-confidence in girls. Vision, we want to take that then to the marketplace and we want to communicate it in a way that we have empathy. But also part of that is mastery of the timing of it. And they were paying attention to this kind of empowerment movement that was going on through you know Dove's campaign for real beauty and some of these other things. And they saw these cultural themes that were going going on and they said, wait a minute, we can introduce some ideas into that space and uh, and and really, you know, watch our ideas shine. And so in the end, what happened was they created a film that was incredibly inspirational. I mean, as a father of a, of a, of a young girl, I was thinking, yes, I mean, I almost teared up thinking I want her to have this sense of, you know, I'm not going to let somebody else define what it means to be a girl, right? Instead, I'm just going to engage my life um, with confidence um, and, and also good for business. I mean, and, and those two things can be can exist mutually, you know, that it's good for the world and good for business. Um, but it all happened because they paid attention to what they care about, what their audience cares about, and then themes or ideas that were emerging in the marketplace that, uh, that already had some resonance. Hmm. No, I think that's amazing. I think it was, I mean, it's, it's when you have those three, let's to bring it back to the voice engine, right? When you have those three pieces at play and you, you have sort of, uh, or you're helping people in this case, I identify, identify their identity and the vision and the mastery pieces there. Like it, 
it resonates. It's resonatable as we've been talking about this whole time. And it does. And it, and it not only like the reason I was interested in this book almost from a leadership standpoint is that's something people get behind, right? When these three things click into place, yes, you do amazing work, but people also start to get behind it. And now you have a movement. Now you're not just an artist alone in a corner. You're suddenly leading a movement. And that to me is really, really cool. And on that note, let's transition from uh, the movement itself to the guy leading the movement. And let's ask uh, Todd. Todd, our questions that we ask everybody. Um, I know you know stimulus is important because I've read your books, right? Yes. And I know that you read a lot. So I'm really curious to your answer to this question. What are you reading right now? That's a great question. Uh, So I just finished Titan, um, the biography of John D. Rockefeller Sr., um, which is fantastic, by the way, regardless of your opinion of Rockefeller and his legacy. Um, I think you could go either way on that, depending on you know what you know about him. I think he has a remarkable life, and he's somebody that we could look at um, as a case study in what happens when you go from having absolutely nothing to absolutely everything, and what do you do with that, and what does it look like? So I would recommend that book by Ron Chernow called Titan. Um, I was the other day, I was uh, in the, a rental car for two hours each way on my way to and from a speaking engagement out in Breckenridge, in Breckenridge Colorado. Colorado. Right. We feel so That's terrible right. for you. Yeah. And so uh, I listened on the way there and back again to The Checklist Manifesto by Atul Gawande, which is a fantastic book. Um, if you're somebody who does work that is important to you, and I, I, hopefully that's everybody listening, but, um, but that is also complex work. I would really recommend listening to this book and considering how checklists might make you more effective in what you do. It's really good. It's a, it's a quick read. Like I said, I listened to it in like four hours on double speed on Audible, but, um, but it's a great book. And then I'll give you one that I just, um, finished and I just interviewed this guy and you probably should look into interviewing him, David. Um, but Jeff Colvin has a new book. He wrote talent. Talent is, um, overrated a couple of years ago. It was a fantastic book. He just finished a book. Um, and it's coming out in the early August called humans are underrated. And it's a great book. It's about, um, how, you know, everybody's talking about how technology is going to usurp humanity and it's going to take over all of our jobs and it's going to be writing books and creating art in a couple of years. And, you know, basically algorithms are going to rule the world. And he said he doesn't really believe that to be true. When he looks at the research, there are certain things that humans are uniquely capable of doing that we should insist that humans do in the long run. And so he argues for that and argues why humans will always have a place uh, in the world because there are things that are uniquely human um, that, that need to, to be done. So that that's another one I would really recommend. Um, Tom Rath's new book is fantastic called Are You Fully Charged? I really enjoyed that as well. Uh, so that's a handful. If I don't know if you want more, I could keep going, but that, that's a handful. No, that's that amazing. If you've already worn out my hand writing stuff down. And I, the <laughs> Jeff Colvin one really intrigues me from from the guy who figured out the talent is overrated. Now I'm really curious. It's sort of like the, the C, maybe he's working on a, on a rated trilogy, right? Um, similar, similar to Todd Henry's creative trilogy, which please don't ever make a fourth movie where Indiana Jones meets the aliens. As long as we <laughs> we don't do that. So actually, speak, speaking of a fourth movie, maybe that's our that's our next question, right? Uh, I I know you you don't have to give away the store, but I wonder what's next for you. What are some of the questions that you're looking at? The ideas now that Louder Than Words is out, just like when Diamond was out, I knew there were ideas you were looking at that led to Louder Than Words. What what kind of questions you're asking? What's next for you? What are you looking for? I'm I'm exploring um, I'm I'm exploring in a similar uh, vein of our, our conversation about Jeff Colvin's new book, only obviously from a slightly different perspective. Um, I'm really exploring how we are losing our humanity in the midst of our technological scurry for 
better, faster, more efficient. And, um, you know, so that, that has really been obsessing my brain for a long time. I really feel like our technology is disrupting our biology, but not in a good way. And I think I'm afraid that we're going to get to a point where we reach a point of no return when it comes to, um, you know, social interaction, technology, that we're training ourselves uh, to be human in a different way. And I'm not entirely convinced that it's all good. And so I'm sort of exploring some of that and how that affects our creativity, our ability to collaborate, and ultimately our ability to do great and substantive work. Because I think that, um, you know, our, our baseline has been elevated to the point where we have, we're, we're suffocating all the passion and serendipity and joy uh, out of our work. And so that's kind of not, not to end on a downer, but that's kind of what I've been exploring and, and some ways that people are dealing with that and how to, how to be more effective at dealing with that. No, I think that's really cool. And in, in an age where, uh, you know, where all of our screens are sort of uniting now, right, where they can hand off to each other and whatever, and, they're, and maybe they're uniting against us, right, in the sense of getting that margin to do the great work. I think that's, that's awesome. Deep, deep questions with Todd Henry. That's, um, that's really cool. <laughs> so we'll be looking forward to that. In the meantime, the book again, Louder Than Words, Harness the Power of Your Authentic Voice. It's got a super cool cover, and do yourself a favor when you buy it, turn it to the side and look at the spine. There's some really cool stuff they've done with that portfolio logo. Awesome. I love it. I'm a book nerd. So Todd, thanks for that. And thank you for joining us inside the Leader Lab. Thanks, David. It's great to be here. And thanks again for consistently shipping great work into the world. I really appreciate all that you do.